Hi, welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We are presented with support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. President Biden has set a goal that half of all new vehicles built in the U.S. will be zero emission. That means these electric vehicles will be powered by batteries, fuel cells, or a combination of gas and electric. A new company here in Cleveland is taking a big step in that direction by creating what is known as e-moto bikes, which are battery powered. But there's more to what Land Energy hopes to do than just create these bikes. Here to talk to us about what Land Energy's short and long-term goals are is its founder and CEO, Scott Calissimo. Scott, thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. Scott, before we talk about Land Energy and also your work with your previous company, Cleveland Cycle Works, I have to say, as a person who can't draw and is not mechanical, I admire anybody who could do both of those things. Which came first for you? Were you more interested in the art aspect or the the transportation aspect? Uh, I think they pretty much came at the same time. I mean, I've been writing and drawing since I can remember, so it's always been a passion to do both. You attended the Cleveland Institute of Art. Was there a program designed for a person who wanted to do what you wanted to do, which was to design uh, transportation vehicles, or or is that something that sort of move you in your own direction after you graduate? Uh, Yeah, well, actually, the Cleveland Institute of Art is one of three schools in the U.S. that really focus on transportation design. Um, And actually, it's funny because a lot of people mistakenly go into engineering thinking that they're going to be the ones designing vehicles. Um, when it's actually the artists that are are doing the the design. So uh, I was lucky enough to find a design program when I was uh, young enough to be able to um, understand what it was. How did you go about finding uh, founding Cleveland Cycle Works? That, that was your first big company here in Northeast Ohio. Yeah, so Cleveland Cycle Works was pretty, at least in my mind, it was a pretty easy transition. Um, I was working in the automotive industry, and I was just really discontent with how long it took to do anything. And you know, how little input I had on the, the future of the vehicles and the cars and all that. Um, so I actually moved to Germany thinking, oh, you know, the Germans really care a lot more about design than the Americans. And I found an even uh, more kind of layer cake stack of um, hierarchy in the corporate world. And um, I just really got just sick of the just the glacial movement in that industry. Um, so I, I moved back to Cleveland and was trying to figure out how to start a car company, uh, recognize that the, the pot of money to do that was uh, billions and, um, again, glacial and big and, and all that. So um, I decided to follow my passion with design and two wheels. And, um, you know, like I said, in my mind, it was logical, right? But, uh, yeah, it was it. It was just a progression of wanting to do something big and, and go big, and, and that's what we did. Anyone who saw the bikes that you designed for Cleveland Cycle Works would immediately notice that these were really sleek, lighter, scaled down kind of bikes. And I think we have this picture of motorcycles because that's what we often see when we're on the freeway of these big, huge vehicles. What led you in that direction to go sort of against type, at least what we see in the United States? Um, Well, I did everything that you're not supposed to do as a designer. I designed vehicles for myself, right? Um, So... You know, Harley Davidson's were kind of my my dad's and uncles and even like grandpa sort of vision of a bike, right? This hog, um, and you know, my generation is not that, that image of the road hog, right? This huge kind of inefficient beast, heavy, and um, it just it didn't appeal to me. And nobody was making products that I wanted to buy, so um, I just started building custom bikes that were bikes that I wanted to own. Enough people were like, hey, that's really cool. Where do I buy those? And, um, you know, that's kind of how the how it, it, it went about. So, um, you know, Cleveland Cycle Works is really just taking the lifestyle aspect of motorcycling um, and just making it more affordable, right? 
giving consumers a, a product that was smaller, lightweight, uh, highly fashionable, right? Very beautiful um, product, but which existed within your means. And, and that was always something that I was focused on. And that's the reason we named it Cleveland Cycle Works because, you know, the bikes were affordable, attainable, and you could be pr uh, proud to ride them. And, um, you know, there's something really cool about that, right? Giving uh, somebody that you know, a product that you can, um, you know, become famous on, right? Anywhere you ride a Cleveland Cycle Works bike, everyone wants to know about it. They want to talk about it. Um, and little do they know it's like a three to $4,000 product, right? Something cool about that. Much of the manufacturing you did was done in China. Why wasn't it done here? Well, we tried. So um, you have to think about the time that we started Cleveland Cycle Works and the age that I was. So I was, um, you know, early 20s. Uh, it was 2008, 2009. We were coming out of a massive recession here in the U.S. And so this, you know, young kid comes into your office and says, I'm starting a motorcycle company. It was kind of like, yeah, right. Get out. Um, that's every every single uh, local manufacturer I went to, they were like, you know, you serious? Like, this is a joke. I was working for a company called Tektronic Industries, TTI, um, which owns Dirt Devil and Hoover and Rigid and Ryobi. And um, I had a, a pretty massive um, group of friends and, and people I was working with in China. And I was lamenting one night over, you know, how hard it was to get it done in the U.S., and one of my friends said, hey, just fly over to China. I'll drive you around for a couple of weeks and we'll, we'll look around, see if we could find partners. And literally every single factory I went to, instead of, you know, 60, 70 year old gray hairs sitting across the table, it was 20 to 30 year old young men and young women that were running multi-million dollar to billion dollar manufacturing plants. And there was this kind of kinship with uh, the timing, the idea. Um, it all just kind of worked out, you know. I, it was almost like what I would imagine America was like back in the Industrial Revolution. At what point did you start thinking about transitioning to electric motorcycles? So the point came in about 2014 where, and this is kind of how my, my career has gone. I start tinkering. I develop a little bit of an understanding, a little bit of an expertise, and then I research, 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 understand where the market is, and then... Um, you know, eventually the market catches up with my ideas and then you have to strike when the market's kind of ready, right? So I was interested in electric motorcycles all the way back in, you know, the 2000s, the 99, way back then, but the market just was not, not ready, right? So once the market kind of caught up with where my idea was, uh, we really kind of solidified land, which is our, our new company in 2019, started really putting some assets into place and bringing in people to help with that. 2020, we prototyped our first, you know, electric vehicle for production. And then 2021 is when we started to, you know, get suppliers. And, you know, the, the vast difference between, I think, Cleveland Cycle Works in 2009 versus land in 2020 is the uh, American government, the American people, the manufacturers, the tech industry has finally woken up to this fact that if we don't do something here in the U.S., we are screwed in, in many, many ways, right? Um, and having lived in China and worked in China for years, um, I have this sort of glimpse into a world that a lot of our politicians and local manufacturers don't have. And I've seen the electric vehicle industry expand. I mean, the, the Chinese are probably 10 to 20 years ahead of us in the electric vehicle space. And everyone in the U.S. here, they're completely unaware of how big it is getting outside of the U.S. And it, it's a bit scary. 
is part of that our sort of ingrained car culture here in the United States. We have this kind of car, we build it this way, and that's the way we've always done it. And so we're not going to change it. You know, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I will say that the whole, you know, resting on your laurels, right? Like anywhere you go in America, everyone's, oh, we're the best in the world. We're the best at this. We're the best at that. We're the best. We're the best. We're the best. But they don't travel, right? They don't get out of the U.S. And, um, you know, I've visited some really small towns in China that are far more advanced, far bigger, and have a, a much better technical advantage than we do here in Cleveland, right? And you've never heard of them. So I, I think it's just this idea of like um, that we're the best without actually understanding what else is going on in Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, um, you know, different parts of China and Korea. Uh, once you have visibility of these things and then you come back, it's like, all right, well, we actually have a lot of work to do. We can't rest on our laurels. We have to really, really drive forward, you know, consistently what the America, you know, what the Americans have actually been really, really good at is innovation. Right. Nobody beats America when it comes to innovation. Um, and there's a lot of reasons. Right. It's a lot easier to do business here. There's this kind of individualistic mindset. Um, and, you know, now we're trying to work with uh, local tech companies, manufacturing. Um, we've engaged, you know, Jobs Ohio, the city of Cleveland, the county um, to kind of ring the alarm and say, look, like we need to collectively. It's not dog eat dog. It's not American versus American. It's really it's kind of. Um, collectively, how do we grow the new energy space? How do we grow the e-mobility space? How do we grow this together? How do we look inward to bring high-tech jobs, you know, tech jobs, manufacturing jobs that, that people actually want? Um, and, and how do we create something here again? And, and that's really where the focus is. And, you know, land is a hat tip to Cleveland, right? It's a, it's a kind of a hat tip to like, look, we're doing this here. We're doing it locally and we're going to continue to grow it. Scott Colosimo joins us. He is the founder and CEO of Land Energy. He joins us today for The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We're presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. As you begin this new company, and you've been rolling for about a year now, how's the process of getting investors going, Scott? Well, it's a challenge. So you have to keep in mind where I come from. So I don't come from the venture capital space. I don't come from the private equity space. Cleveland CycleWorks, we took our own money and we organically scaled. Um, so that's a vastly different sort of company than, than what we're doing right now. So where did I build my expertise? I built my expertise in driving EBITDA, you know, driving sales, marketing, manufacturing. Um, and those are things that are very important to running a business, but not very important to uh, venture capitalists, right? Um, those are things that have to come eventually, but the vision and the ability to scale are, are most important. So um, what I'm understanding right now, or, you know, I'm getting my, uh, my trial by fire in the venture capital space. Um, you know, I'm a, a second time CEO, but a first time, you know, venture capital raiser. So uh, the last 12 months have been really understanding what, what investors want to see from the business, you know, what KPIs that we need to hit and, and just the, the vision, right? Like we're so focused from being an organically scaled company on the product, the product, the product. Now the vision's there, but you know, be, being Clevelanders, a lot of times we don't we don't project that vision. But now we have to outwardly project that vision and tell people what we're doing. You know, the name Land Energy, it's a, a bigger energy play. It's not just mobility. We have these swappable batteries. So even if you live in an apartment, you can charge these things. These batteries have um, you know plugs in them, so you can charge your devices off of them. So now we're outwardly 
um, explaining where we're going in the future. And um, now that we've really learned how to how to project that vision, it's become a lot easier. So while I mentioned that you're building e-moto bikes for a person who's never heard that term, what do we what are we talking about? You're asking the right questions. So you're uh, I, this is enjoyable. So we we call them e-motos because so before if you had a motorcycle and it was a moped, it's always a moped. If it's a hog, it's always a hog, right? If it's a dirt bike, it's always a dirt bike, and it was because the size of the motor. So if it was a 50cc, it's slow. It's it's kind of kind of a bicycle. If it's a 250cc, it's a it's a small bicycle. And if it's a thousand cc, it's a it's a big huge um, you know race bike. So different tools for the job. Uh, well, because electric is so different and the way it delivers torque is so different, we've been able to create one vehicle that can get you into riding as an e bicycle. So class one. Our vehicle is a legal e-bicycle. It's limited to 20 miles per hour. And when you twist that throttle, no matter what you do, it slowly takes off. So if you're moto curious, let's say, we, we hear it all the time, oh, I, I wanna, I, I've always wanted to ride. Um, there's no clutch, there's nothing. You twist the throttle and there's two brakes, that's it. Um, so you can get on this thing as an e-bicycle, no license needed. But when you get bored with that, or if you get bored with that and you want to step up, uh, the flip of a switch in ride mode two, and now it's an e-moped. Um, so now we've taken a vehicle that was only 50 cc, and we've made it, you know, 50 to about 125. You've bridged a, a bigger gap. Let's say you're really riding this thing, and you're like, I love this. Now I want to go go bigger. Uh, the flip of a switch. It's a full blown motorcycle that can go 65 miles per hour. Um, our power to rate uh, weight ratio right now is about the same as the new Corvette. Um, so we've taken a vehicle that you can safely get on if you're curious and you can ride it without issue. When you get bored with that kind of low threshold, you can step it up to moped. When you get bored with that, if you get bored with that, you could then step it up to full-size motorcycle. So you have one vehicle that can bridge a gap that is much, much bigger than you used to be able to bridge. And it's fun for everyone at these different stages. And you know what's more sustainable than not having to buy or build yet another vehicle. So one of the pushbacks you always hear about electric vehicles from people who are reluctant to buy them is I'm afraid I'm not going to have somewhere to charge it up and I'm going to get stuck. How do we combat that? Well, so, you know, that's one thing since we're so ingrained in this design and R&D culture, um, that was one thing that we, and it's one thing that just ingrained in the company is how do we make these things more usable for the consumer? We don't do tech for tech's sake. Tech is there to enable the consumer to um, use the product better than the product that came before it. So um, by having swappable batteries, um, we have two swappable packs. Um, if you really want mobile, they're about 25 pounds each. Uh, we call those our core packs. And we have one big, uh, our core plus, um, that's one big battery for people that don't want to swap. So let's say you live in an apartment downtown Cleveland and the owner of the apartment will not put plugs in your garage to charge. You simply pull out this 25-pound pack, you bring it up to your apartment, and you put it on the charger in your apartment. Now, let's say your power goes down. Uh, we have an inverter and plugs in our battery. So once that battery is charged, you can use it as a mobile backup. Let's say you like going camping or you just want to go tailgate or you want to go down to Edgewater for the weekend. Um, you now have a mobile power bank that you can, um, you know, power your speakers off of your cell phone, charge everyone's um, electronics, you know, your drones, anything else that you want 
um, you know, you can ride the bike to the beach and then power everything when you get there. So the, the swappable batteries is a, a big, big push. The first bike you're building is called the District. Tell me about the name and, and cost and, and what it's like. Sure. So the District is a e-moto, as, as we've discussed. It's $8,000. So it starts at $8,000. Um, we're about 80% U.S. parts content. So what you're not seeing behind me is our factory. Um, so we have a full-time fabricator. Um, we have full-time engineers and designers, marketing, uh, full staff for um, scaling here. It's a, it's a transitional vehicle. So it weighs about 180 pounds. We've electronically limited that to 65 miles per hour. And it's just a, it's a fun uh, electric vehicle. You will get about 80 miles of range with two battery packs in it. If you go slower, you can get more. But if you're really riding it the way we ride it, um, you get about 80 miles of range. And the name district is what it does, right? It's very literal. Um, so this isn't made to go across country. It isn't made to, to do really long trips on. Um, it's made to get around the district, right? It's an urban dweller, and it, it works really well in, in an urban setting. It also works really well um, when you're camping. So I always take one with me uh, whenever we go camping, and it, it works really well around the campsite. Do you see Land Energy, Scott? I mean, you're, you're obviously building these bikes, but do you see it expanding into a bigger thing and really becoming more involved in, this, in the this sort of distributive power notion of having these batteries and using them in other ways? Yeah, and, and I think the consumer is already there with um, ecosystems, right? So um, if you own a Rigid or a, a Ryobi drill, you're in their battery ecosystem, right? You're, you have all these different power tools and they all work off of one battery pack. So, um, you know, some of the link-ups we're looking at is we've had RV manufacturers come to us and say, hey, um, this would be great in our RVs. So the whole RV industry is trying to go fossil fuel free. Um, you know, RVs have a massive area for solar panels on the roof. Um, so there's an obvious link-up with RVs. Uh, we've had some home builders. Uh, I shouldn't say home builders. We've had um, apartment builders, um, people building towers that are looking to kind of shave the peak off and saying, hey, if we threw one of these in each one of our um, units, uh, you know, where could we help shave that peak off the grid? Um, we've had a few people that do remote water treatment plants that said, hey, um, you know, this would be perfect to be able to charge off the solar and power some of the things at these plants. So, yes, you're, you're hinting on the, the bigger vision here is this cross-platform power. Um, and then there's a whole other layer to it, which is our IoT backend which is the batteries are connected to um, basically a cloud-based system. And, and that's, a, that's something that's bigger down the road, um, but giving our consumers data and giving them power um, to understand their choices uh, is, is pretty important. So I, I don't want to overstate this, but do you feel in some respects that you're on something big here? Like 100 years from now, people are going to be going, land energy in 2021, X, Y, Z. Do you think you might be in that kind of place? We think so. Um, and, you know, this is it just comes from a, 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 st a realistic stance on where the technology is, where the market's at um, and, and where we can go. Right. This is a very, I would say, Midwest kind of Cleveland centric approach where, you know, one foot on earth and, and your your head in the sky. But we have a path that we're following um, that's kind of our path to success that is is led by some real world KPIs and just some real world. Um, goals that we're trying to hit along that path. We look forward to seeing you how that path comes out for you, Scott. Thanks so much for joining us today. 
Thank you. I would encourage everyone to uh, go to either land.bike or landenergy.io to learn more. Scott Colosimo is the founder and CEO of Land Energy. He joined us today for the Landscape of Cranes Cleveland podcast, presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. On behalf of our producer, Cody Smith, I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk again soon.